Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I would like to share from Psalm 62 this morning. You can start turning there. Uh, this is a psalm that talks about David facing difficulty and choosing to wait silently on God and finding refuge in God, which is a, a common theme in the, in the book of Psalms. And to be honest, it's kind of been a theme that's been running through our service this morning. So Psalm 62, when, when David talks about uh, finding God in difficulty, I, I pay attention to him because he has firsthand experience. And when you talk to someone who has firsthand experience with some subject matter and has not just uh, read a book or watched a video, that person is worth listening to. Uh, he has good advice. Um, for example, if, if anyone needs advice on uh, replacing the timing belt on a really old Toyota Camry, feel free to talk to me and I'll give you advice on how not to do it. And uh, better talk to somebody else, actually. David is a man who has experienced major trouble but he kept finding God through those times. And so when David says, you, you can make God your refuge, I believe him. That being said, this is a concept that I've struggled to apply to my own life. And so I hope that um, nothing I say this morning makes it sound like I have this figured out and, and mastered. That is not the case. Psalm 62. Now I'm going to give you just a brief um, kind of outline of the psalm before we read it. So in the first couple verses, David is, we'll call that God's, uh, David's testimony, that he is waiting in silence on God. And then verses 3 and 4 talk about the difficulty he is facing, which we don't know too much about. <clears throat> And then verses 5 through 7 is maybe David kind of reiterating his, his testimony, his stance, his intention to keep relying on God. And <clears throat> this is why I have this. Tea break. I, I, <clears throat> I started this croakiness just this morning and um, we'll have to I might have to keep pausing here and there for. So where was I at? Verse 5 through 7, David's intention to keep relying on God. Verse 8, David's testimony, his recommendation to all people. Verses 9 and 10 are, are the false securities, things you don't want to rely on. Verses 11 and 12 come back to God. Maybe you could call it God's testimony that um, he is the ultimate in power, love, and the final settler of accounts. So let's read this passage. Psalm 62, I'm reading from the ESV. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. 
He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. <clears throat> so we're going to look at a few different um, areas of this psalm. One is, what, what was this trial that David was going through? How does it fit our experience how did David make God his refuge? We're going to pick out four kind of general areas or aspects. What is the result of finding refuge in God? So let's talk about the trial a bit. And the first thing I want to say about David's trial is that I don't think that we need to have a trial of the same, exact same size and shape as David's to benefit from what this psalm is saying. Here in verses 3 and 4, how long, see if that's going to stay there, I think so. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. So verse 3 is apparently a little difficult to translate because, it, well, it varies a lot between versions as far as this leaning wall and tottering fence. Probably some of you are noticing this, that it is not clear if the leaning wall is referring to David, who feels vulnerable, or if it's referring to the attackers who will eventually face destruction or judgment. But what is consistent is this expression, how long? Kind of the hallmark phrase of people going through tough times. How long? And then verse 4 goes into more details about this group of people, David's attackers. They are destructive. They want to pull David down from, says, his high position. Probably this happened while David was king, but we don't really know much about what the specific incident was, but they seem out to get him. They are perverted people. They take pleasure in falsehood, treasure, treachery, 
makes them cheerful. They find it heartwarming to be treacherous. They are two-faced, blessing and cursing. Maybe some onlookers are saying, these are really nice people. They're not. Inside their hearts are talking a blue streak. So relating this to our experience, rarely are our trials going to look just like this, or anyone else's for that matter. They're all a little bit different, but there are some general similarities probably to some things we face. Sometimes uh, we might say it's unfair, what have I done to deserve this? It is threatening, David could lose his position, we could lose our job, our reputation, our possessions, even our life. It's ongoing, how long is this going to happen? Our perspective is, the sooner this ends, the better. But often, God seems to have a different opinion. So that's the trial. And then, uh, let's talk about finding refuge in God. And I think, kind of the big takeaway we'd probably get out of this Psalm 62, is that in times of trouble that are frustrating, nerve-wracking, stressful, all those things that we're familiar with, it is possible to find refuge in God. We don't have to be greatly shaken and fly off the handle. It will take effort on our part and self-discipline and faith, but by the grace of God, it is possible for God's people to not be greatly shaken. What David is pointing to in this psalm is a good idea for us to apply whether or not we're facing a big trial like his, or if we're just having a, a bad day and maybe we're depressed and we're not even sure why. I think even in those circumstances, we can apply some of the some of what this psalm is speaking to, that we can, we can find refuge and reassurance in God. And if that becomes a pattern for us, hopefully in smaller trials it will be there for us when we face bigger difficulties. So how does David find refuge in God? I've picked out four areas that David seems to have in mind when he um, wrote this. So I'll start with this one. Uh, I think we need to review who God is, and I'll, I'll pick verses 11 and 12 for that. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. So once, twice. He's not saying literally, um, I'm counting and I've heard this two times now. But it's, it's, a, it's a poetic expression saying this is something that deserves extra emphasis, double underlined. These facts about God's power, love, and judgment, eventual settling of accounts. Power belongs to God. And that's something we know from preschool up, right? My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. 
And David knew this from very early on up. Uh, when he was a young shepherd, compared to, to God, he knew that Goliath was just a little maggot. He probably looked at, at Goliath and said, you know, he's about the size of that uh, fleece worm that I picked off of Rocky the other day. Fleece worm is a special maggot that lives on sheep, so I picked that as an illustration. He knew this, you know, from probably long before he wrote Psalm 62, but here he is, he's reviewing it again. Power belongs to God. Steadfast love or mercy. Does this trial mean that God's character has changed? No, it doesn't. Has God stopped loving David? No. And David and, and all of us can look back on our history and say, you know, God has been merciful and loving to me. I've, I've gone through some tough things, but I've gotten through them, and God has been good. In the next psalm, Psalm 63, David says, your steadfast love is better than life. And back in Psalm 13, which starts with, how long? How long, O Lord? It ends with, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is true even when we're saying, how long? For you will render to a man according to his work. God is the final judge. He has the power and authority to settle things, and he has the mercy and love to show to those who are faithful. And so this is a, this is a really important, these are basic facts, but they're important for us to remember and review when we are struggling. God is loving, he is powerful, and he will reward us if we are faithful. So meditate on who God is. Uh, say it to God. T tell him that, you know, Lord, I, even though I'm going through something hard, you are powerful. Uh, you are in control. You've blessed me in ways I don't deserve. Okay, so number two from this psalm is what I see as a rejection of false Securities, reject false securities. This would be verses 9 and 10. I don't see if, I don't know if you saw on the news lately, but there were, there was some fake money being circulated in Alta Vista, close to home. And it's, it sounds like, and, and it was being accepted by a few businesses before it was realized it wasn't. Re the real thing. And it sounds like it wasn't actually even counterfeit. Uh, some of it, at least, was just what they call movie money. So it's money that looks quite authentic. It's, it's for using in like uh, as a prop in a movie. So it looks authentic, but if you look really close, somewhere in small print it says movie money. But it looked good enough that it actually worked a few times. And... Uh, that's kind of how the false securities can work for us. Uh, it, it might work for a little while, but then it collapses under closer scrutiny. A couple people were arrested, by the way. 
One guy had a bond of $1,000. I don't know if he had a $1,000 bill left on him or not. Verses 9 and 10. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. So three basic areas of false security, people, plans, possessions. Uh, it can be tempting to think if you get the right people on your side, you'll be okay. But David says from Michael Bloomberg all the way down to me, put, put people on a scale, put them on the left side of the balance, Breathe on the right side, it's going up. Humans are lightweights when it comes to where you want to put your ultimate trust. Uh, we need people, we need good friends and advisors, but they're not where we want to put our ultimate trust and source of security. It's people, people change, they move on, they forget about us, and there's really only so much they can do. Even if I was close personal friends with Jerry Falwell, even though I work for him, he doesn't know me, of course. Even if he knew me and we were on a first-name basis, I really wouldn't be any more secure in life. It can be tempting to think that way, but it's not true. People, yeah, not, not, the, not where you want to put your source of security. Plans. Forceful plans. Look at this. Extortion, robbery. You, we can think desperate times call for desperate measures. And we're going to take things in our own hands and make this work, set things right. But plans can't be our source of security. They usually backfire anyway. Possessions. Uh, the truth is, money can solve a lot of problems, but not the biggest ones. Probably many of you heard about Rush Limbaugh and, and cancer, his lung cancer. He announced that about a month ago. And um, we know, and he knows, that no amount of money is going to just make that problem go away or make him ready to meet God, or make any of us ready to meet God. That's not something you can solve with money. According to Forbes, he made $84 million in, in 2018. But, um, I, and I think he's thinking soberly about these things, and we should pray for him. Don't set your heart on money and possessions. This is something that, that God's people have I think they have always understood that this is something we need to avoid uh, setting our hearts on. Even in Job, which we'll look at this, I guess, eventually, Job 31, verse 24, if I have made gold my trust or called fine gold my confidence, if I have rejoiced because my wealth was abundant or because my hand had found much, and then in verse 28 we get to the end of the if, this also would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges, for I would have been false to God above. So set your heart on something else. 
You can set your heart, apparently. No, it's not like an oven that you set at 350 or something, but it is something you... In the Old Testament, there were people who set their hearts on seeking the Lord and people who did not. Okay, so what we're, what we're trying to do here is we're talking about what does it mean to find refuge in God? And we've already looked at, at two parts of that. One is reviewing who God is. And secondly, it is rejecting the false areas of security. And now thirdly, I want to look at this thing I will just call waiting silently on God. Verse 1, David says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. And then in verse 5, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. Now just to add context to what David is talking about here, I'm going to read a few verses from Psalm 37, which is a gorgeous psalm, as pretty much all of them are. Psalm 37, fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers, and I'll jump to verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices, refrain from anger and forsake wrath, fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So what does it mean for our soul to wait in silence on God? I, I think it means, for one thing, that we are making time for God. Uh, David is talking about an inner waiting, an inner rest, as it's translated in NIV. But it, that is affected by outward choices. And sometimes the outward choice we have to make is that I need to slow down and spend some time with God. Take a time out. Meditate on God. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but here in Psalm 62, at the start of the psalm, he says, My soul waits in silence. And down in verse 5, he is instructing his soul. Oh, my soul, wait in silence. So maybe by taking a time out is, is one way in which we instruct our souls to wait on God. We're making time for God to strengthen us and give us direction. Like David did at Ziklag. You remember that. Amalekites attacked Ziklag burned it down, hauled off all the women and children and possessions and all those things that weren't David's ultimate security anyway. And in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, and David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. That would be adding insult to injury. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So, like I said, this is, this is a man who is speaking from firsthand experience. He has been living out Psalm 62 for a long time. And, and there at Ziklag, the next thing he did was he asked God for guidance. Should I pursue this band? And God said yes. And things turned out well in the end. But waiting, I, th I think, first of all, it has to mean making time for God. It also means we are expecting God to do something. 
Now, in, in our psalm here, 62, David doesn't specifically say, you know, God will keep me from losing my throne, or God's going to turn all my enemies into my friends. But what he does say in verse 7 is that on God rests my salvation and my glory. And, and so to me, that means that in the things that matter most, David is expecting God to be faithful. God will rescue him, vindicate him, reward him. And so he's not committing the, the crumbs of life to God. It's, it's the big things. Waiting in silence also means not flying off the handle, which I guess that especially comes out clear in, in Psalm 37. We, we, he says, fret not, because um, it tends only toward evil and leads to evil. We aren't letting anxiety take over and we're not making reckless decisions. We are finding rest in God as it says in the NIV. Okay, so review who God is, reject the false areas of security, wait silently on God, take time for God. And, and then uh, this, this fourth one I want to pick out is pour out your heart to God, which is in verse 8. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. Pour out your heart. I think that just means unload, unload your, your troubles, express yourself. Maybe tears are involved because he's talking about pouring. And this is something you probably need to do more than once, depending what you're going through. Over in Psalm 55, where David is wrestling with the treachery of a former friend, looks like. At one point in verse 17, he says, Evening and morning. And at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. Pour out your heart before God. Do it repeatedly. It's good. What good is it going to do? Well, in Psalm 62, David says, Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So I, I think that this act of pouring out our heart to God is one way in which we make him our refuge. It results in a burden being shifted. Of course, it's probably going to come back to us, but we can shift it again. And uh, back in Psalm 55, which I just read from the, the one that says, early morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan, it says in verse 22, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. So it is a way of moving the burden. So David's recommendation is pour out your heart to God. He is not an impersonal and distant force out there. He actually cares about what we're going through. He's not impersonal and inaccessible. Okay? So those are the four. Uh, review who God is, reject false areas of security, wait silently on God, pour out your heart to God. Those are the four main things I picked out as being how we find refuge in God, how we make God our refuge. 
And now let's talk just a bit about what are the results of this? What are the results of finding refuge in God? I've got five points here. I'll go through them very quickly. One is we worship God when we find refuge in him, when we make him our refuge. It's an act of worship. It is telling God that he is more important. I think it is a high-quality kind of worship in this kind of circumstance. I think it's a time in which the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart can be especially pleasing to God. Second result is we find guidance. Our thinking will be more clear. God speaks to us more easily when we found refuge in him. David found guidance at Ziklag. Thirdly, we avoid regrets. Angry reactions, forceful measures, hopefully none of us would be considering robbery. Fretting that leads to evil. A lot of the times, the trials we go through are made worse by our own reaction. When we react carnally, things tend to escalate. So that's a third result of finding refuge in God. We avoid regrets. Fourthly, we are more unshakable. And I think David is here at Psalm 62 because a lot of past choices, a pattern of making God his source of refuge. So instead of finding kind of a, a coping mechanism that in the long run makes him more unstable, he is at a so much better place because repeatedly he has made God his mighty rock and fortress. One, two, three, four. Uh, finally, we send, number five, we send a convincing testimony, to, especially to the people who know us best because the people who are distant maybe Maybe they don't really see what's going on anyway, but our children are going to be much more impressed by how their mom and dad behaves under stress than when everything is fine. They're going to see that what we really believe, I'm sorry, they're going to see that we really believe God is real and faithful. If we respond well, they're going to see that there is actually something there. So those are five results of making God your refuge. In conclusion, I will, I will give you the two things that are my kind of takeaway from this Psalm 62. Um, I don't know, maybe you will find your own kind of personal application, but these are the two takeaways that are for Galen. One is to accept responsibility for how I respond to tough times. Um, God is a refuge and strong fortress. He's supposed to be our refuge and strong fortress. But if, if the enemy is headed your way and, and, and you aren't entering the fortress, well, it's kind of your own fault if you get beat up. So it is my fault if I uh, lash out at somebody because I'm having a terrible day. Um, if I come home from work depressed, and then waste my evening grumbling at my children and reading the news and eating too much. Well, it's all kind of my fault, all right? 
It wasn't just, oh, I had a bad day, so I have to do all these things. This is just natural, you know, I had to do it. No, I, I, will, uh, I want to accept responsibility for how I respond to, to difficult times. <clears throat> and then the second takeaway for me is to is, is just make more of a pattern out of this, this thing of turning to God when things aren't going well. A number of years ago, I started this document called it's not nearly as wise as it sounds, but life lessons and maybe mission statement. It actually has been, I think it's been helpful for me, but I go back and I review it and adjust it every so often. Um, and one of the things I wrote down at some point, it's been quite a while ago, and I can't even remember what inspired me to write it down. I'd gone through some little bump, and I'm sure it was not a very significant one, but I, I wrote down basically that, you know, when, when I am depressed or disappointed or just upset about things, it is always a good choice to turn to God and, and, and find reassurance. There are answers there every time. And I know that sounds kind of trite. That's really something we're all supposed to know. But it is a true statement. I found it to be true repeatedly. Unfortunately, I haven't applied it nearly as often as I should. So, and I, and I think, again, that turning to God involves uh, letting God know how we're feeling, what we're going through. Sometimes it involves picking up a Bible instead of, you know, browsing the Internet and that kind of thing. We show God we really love Him. It's a way of worshiping Him, and it's good for us. All right, so in conclusion, those who know God have heard his testimony and accept his testimony, which is in verses 11 and 12. We have a choice. God's people have a choice. Even in hard times, it is possible to find refuge in God. And my prayer is that we all do that more often. God bless you.